0: You need Indeed. He turns, he fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber
1: back to Bibby, has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for you
2: Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, Mr. Sean Cunningham from Fox 40 and Mr. Brendan Nunez from the Kings Herald and the Kings Pulse Podcast. What's
1: up, gentlemen? Not much, man. Uh, A little tired, a little groggy from last night, but uh, excited to be here with you guys. We've got a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm, We do.
3: have plenty to talk about. Head coach locked in. Sean was talking to him yesterday.
2: Locked and loaded. Um, Okay, so if you uh, were like, just shut your phone off for the weekend, like I did inadvertently. um, (laughs) Yes, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, But if you shut off your phone this weekend, uh, which you should have because it was Mother's Day. um, Of course, the Sacramento Kings did hire a new head coach uh, in Mike Brown. And a uh, four-year deal, uh, from what I'm hearing. And uh, he will start as soon as the Golden State Warriors season is officially over. Um, just, uh, you know what, let's just start there. Um, Brendan, what were your first thoughts when you heard Mike Brown, head coach, Sack Meadow Kings? I was taking a nap, so of course had to be doing something uh,
3: while it was going on. Um, I was relieved. I will say, I was a little worried about what would happen if, if Mark Jackson was the choice, just like how reaction what the reaction would look like from the fan base and um, everything after that, with it allegedly being Vivek's idea there. So I, I was pretty relieved that it was Mike Brown. And part of me is a little curious if I'm more excited about Mike Brown because it's not Mark Jackson, um, but, you know, when you look at Mike Brown's history, obviously he's um, got an impressive resume, and I- I'm excited. I'm excited. I-, I think he's the type of guy that the Kings need to set a culture and have some accountability on the defensive end specifically, but really on both ends of the floor. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, where were you at,
1: Sean? Well, I got to say, like, the, I still keep getting uh, – look, I get a little annoyed with the whole, as as James aptly put it, Team Edward versus Team Jacob like this notion that that you have these finalists. Okay, first of all, you have seven that started with, and then you get it down to the three, but which really became two, as if it was like Team Edward versus Team Jacob for you. Is that what did I get that right? That's for Twilight, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. It or as I kind of put it, trying to decide between the two meals that are in front of you, because it is it like, let's say Vex Ronadeve's favorite meal was in front of him, like some just ribeye steak, whatever. Okay. And then over here is this garden salad that he'd rather not have. No, it was like this appetizing equally great pasta that you know. Point being is like he was comfortable either way. And the notion that like he just despised Mike Brown or or didn't want anything to do with Mike Brown and was all in on Mark Jackson and it was like here's Mar- here's Mark Jackson on this side and this is Vive- Vivek Ranadive and here's the rest of the front office with Mike Brown. Like it wasn't really that way. Like if you're going to become a finalist Vivek Ranadive is looking at having to be comfortable with any three of those going forward. So um, I just see too much of that on social media, which, again, is a vile, toxic place, and we shouldn't crowdsource from there. But uh, I've been hearing it a lot on the radio, too, and it's just kind of astounded me as if, like... They literally had to chain Vivek up and say, no, you idiot, let's go this way, and uh, he had to be talked into it. No, I'm sure he probably did have some uh, favoritism towards Mark Jackson because he had that familiarity with some of the things we outlined last week, but ultimately, I do think the basketball minds played out, but Vivek Ronadive was certainly part of that, and I just don't want... That's not me sticking up for him. I I don't want to come off as a Vivek defender, but it's just reality that... You know, and again, I always say it's not exclusive to Sacramento. Look what's going on in Lakerland. You've got the Bus family, who's all over their interviews. So, back to the original question, uh, Mike Brown. Yeah, I mean, I said it here. I said when the seven was were there, I wasn't all that impressed with the list. But if I had to pick one, it was Mike Brown. So, um, I think they got it right. Uh, I, you're not going to find many more coaches that are more experienced than Mike Brown, uh, and certainly has a nice track record of taking a team and getting them into a winning fashion. Now, maybe that doesn't mean championship necessarily, um, but I'm curious to see what he can do with this team. I think they have some up-and-coming pieces. They certainly don't have a Kobe or a LeBron or things like that that he's been used to in the past. Um, So this is a little bit intriguing, but uh, he has winning culture, defensive mindset, and uh, I love the fact that he can play in almost any kind of style. And he comes from that Greg Popovich tree, Rick Carlisle tree, and now a Steve Kerr tree. So there's so much influence there. So I think there's a lot to be excited about, but at the end of the day, fellas, talent wins out.
2: I agree. Um, yeah, I'm excited about Mike Brown. Um, I was not excited about Mark Jackson. I gotta be honest. Uh, like, it, there's just too many red flags. And, and I think he deserves a shot in the league. I just don't think that the Kings were the place to get the shot. I also think this... That uh, if Vivek did have an opinion, we heard at least what what it might have been. And, of course, that was Mark Jackson. Um, I think that the fact that Monty McNair, Wes Wilcox, uh, that they got to make this decision is a good thing. That we now kind of have that feeling that these guys came out of it as whether it was like a huge internal struggle or just a minor internal struggle it didn't matter. They came out, the basketball guys came out on top. And so I think this is a good hire. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know why we have to defend a guy with a six, one, six, you know, career win percentage. Who's won, who's made it to the playoffs and all, but I think one season uh, one real season of his entire career, who's, you know, made it all the way to the NBA finals as a head coach. Uh, I I don't think that there should be a lot of defending a a guy that with that kind of resume and a guy who once he left as a head coach went on to go spend six seasons with one of the best franchises with a brilliant mind in Steve Kerr, um, you know, for the last six years. So um, I like Mike Brown. Um, We all talked about it on Thursday. This was the guy. This was a guy that we thought would be the new head coach as we got through the, the, the weekend. And, uh, so I'm glad that they ended up settling on, on Mike Brown and, and they were able to get him. And I think that that's a good get. Um, okay. So before we dive too deep into the discussion, let's just take care of the business side. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, go down and give us a thumbs up, uh, and subscribe. Uh, and if you're not a subscriber to the Kings beat, we've had a ton of new subscriptions lately. Thank you to all the new subscribers to the Kings beat. But jump on board with the King's Beat. It's the best way to get your information, uh, the quickest way to get your information, and it gets delivered right to your email box um, once a day, once you know four or five, six times a week. Um, so not, we're not going to spam you, but you're going to get plenty of content. Um, outside of that, uh, we do have a happy hour that's going to be coming up. Probably, um, it won't be next week. Uh, it'll probably be the week after. So. Um, right around that, uh, I don't know, what is that third week of third week of May? Um, we'll get someone in here for a new, uh, another happy hour and it should be fun. Um, outside of that, uh, guys, like this is, it's going to be like a highly debated thing that as we go through, uh, as we go, th- you know, we're, we're kind of moving past, I guess the debate part of this and into just the realization of who Mike Brown is as a coach. Uh, he, of course, um, coached the Golden State Warriors to a victory in the playoffs on Monday night because Steve Kerr has uh, unfortunately got the COVID. Um, and Sean was there, and we've got a video of Mike Brown. And I'm going to set this up, and then, Sean, when we're, once the video's done rolling, why don't you kind of walk us through the night because it was eventful. Um, you know, there was a lot of jokes about the Kings getting their first playoff win um in in 16 years but uh but before
1: hit... we do that james can yeah. we walk can we walk through saturday night really quickly because okay. i know we haven't convened since then but before mike brown becomes official it was a bit surreal to see um vivek and his daughter sitting courtside oh
2: my goodness yes i forgot about this Yeah, and
1: you know i mean look i people have to understand he he goes to a lot of warrior playoff games once once the uh yeah Lakers always. are done uh as a as a former owner with the Warriors and so many, you know, business partnerships and things that he has. uh, He's got free uh, time
3: in the postseason usually.
1: Yeah, and you know, hey, it's he's a basketball junkie. So uh you know, but it was neat to see him there with both his finalists literally looking at each other across from different ways. One calling the game in Mark Jackson and the other one uh you know coaching the game in Mike Brown. And and the weird part about it was for me, I was like, all right, I'm gonna storm this floor and see what I can talk to because we we didn't really have clarity at that point and we we knew that the interview process at least with these gentlemen had had wrapped up and so i come out on the floor and i was like okay maybe i'm not trying to get anybody on camera necessarily but maybe i can talk to somebody and i was gonna try to make it to vivek first but i see mark jackson is leaving the uh the broadcast area so by fault by default i'm gonna go to mark jackson first uh got a big mask over his mouth uh and it's a noisy Uh, venue because Chase Center just the game literally just ended moments ago and they're sweeping him off the floor he tells me to walk with him after I introduced myself to him and all I could make out were these words had a great conversation mumble 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 because I can't hear anything and then he says we'll see what happens (laughs) so at that point you know he he felt he was still in the running Uh, I don't know what was said in between because I couldn't really hear him but then I try to make it to Vivek and that guy disappeared. So um wasn't Vivek able to find has,
2: him. Vivek has an Acme hole like hiding <laughs> in his back pocket. And yeah. anytime he sees a camera, he he like pulls it out of his back pocket, he throws it on the floor, he says, Have you met my friend Roger Craig? And boom, he jumps boom. through the hole. Yep. He's gone. Yeah.
1: Disappearing act. Uh he's elusive. So I wasn't he, he was very elusive and I wasn't able to uh to catch up with him. But I will say this, like um, I know Sam Amick had reported this. I, I had, ha, I had had a little bit, a little notion of it, but I wasn't, I didn't report it because so I was just kind of holding on to it. But Sam had reported that you know no decision had been made, but there was no like, um, offer. Uh, neither team had, n- neither side had really heard that Vivek was going to be there. Um, I, I wasn't necessarily buying that, but, um, I didn't see him go up at any point and talk to my mike brown or even mark jackson so it was a bit of a, of a of an interesting scene and then yes the very next day mother's day as you mentioned the news comes out so um that all kind of sets up what happened last night as we record this on you know what happened in monday's game four which is um interesting so i i would love for you to play those comments uh james because the the way things kind of played out in that game i think were just equally as as interesting
2: all right, let's let's play Mike Brown. Which, it, just so you know, it's it's only about fifty seconds long, and uh, it there's only one question about the Kings, but I, then we we left a little bit extra on there so you can actually see a little bit of his personality.
1: You probably don't want to answer this question. You want to talk about this team, but you're up
0: there. Uh, why was the Kings the right opportunity, the right moment for you? And are you going to miss
1: some of this too?
0: But to, to, you know, just to be fair to, to their organization. Uh, you know, I, and our organization right now, I, I want to focus on this. And, you know, when, when the, the press conference comes, I'll answer any questions that you want me to answer. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, we got a lot of jokesters on the team, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm okay with it. And Mike, uh, I don't know if this is too early to ask, but is it definitive that you'll be wearing the head coaching half for game five? Or is it, in theory, does Steve have enough time to, to through protocols and to join you guys in those Steve. If you're watching, get healthy quick.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Sean, take it away. So the fun part before that, that happened post-game. And just to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit, Steve Kerr actually spoke at the morning Um, Mm shoot-around. The past few days, he had actually been wearing a mask again and had a little bit of a scratchy voice, um, but everything had... uh, you know, still been on the up and up, no negative, no positive tests or anything like that. And then I get to the game and he was at morning shoot around. He had addressed the uh, Mike Brown hiring and couldn't be more thrilled for Mike Brown and what he's going to bring to Sacramento. And it's just another guy off his staff that he deeply, deeply cares about. And uh, he says, that's the goal, you know, to, to get your assistants head coaching jobs in this league is the goal. And he thinks that while it's going to be a monumental loss for the Warriors, um, Sacramento gained a great one in, in terms of, especially with what he brought to the defensive end and just being a associate head coach to Steve since 2016 in this dynasty run, right? Um, but, the, but the interesting part about it was he said that in the morning and an hour before his pregame media availability at 5.15, um, I'm talking to Warriors PR, and they were going to set me up with Steve... Um, one-on-one for like a two- or three-question uh, chat about Mike Brown, since he's already talked about it in the shoot-around. Didn't want to bog it down with the with the pregame media availability. All these other people have a playoff series to talk about, and I just wanted to talk about the Kings, obviously. So um, that's, how, that's how quickly this thing turned, because we're in position to talk to Steve. We're waiting for him to come to the media room. 5.15 rolls around. Steve's usually really right on time. And then all of a sudden, uh, one of the PR guys comes out and says, "Like, looks at me like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I kind of told him the situation. And he says, yeah, I think that may have changed. And I'm like, oh, really? And boom. Then we get the word that uh, Steve, in fact, entered health and safety protocols for COVID. And uh, Mike Brown would be taking over and coaching his first game on the day that he's announced as Sacramento Kings head coach and it becomes official. Funny part is, though usually now Mike Brown would step into that pregame media session. And that didn't happen because Mike Brown was not at Chase Center yet. He had not entered the building yet at 515. So um, no media availability for Mike Brown before the game. Uh, I had already been told that Mike Brown was not going to speak about the King situation until there was a press conference. So we already had that going in. Um, However, once Mike Brown was now, um, coaching the game last night and, you know, admirably coaches them to a victory in game four to take that three, one series lead. And, and also guys, I mean, let's, I wanted to point this out. Like he's, this makes him, I think 12 and now in the playoffs filling in for uh, Steve Kerr when, when Steve Kerr isn't there. And that's just playoffs alone, 12 and zero in the playoffs while filling in for Steve Kerr with the Warriors in the playoffs alone gets that 12th victory. He's talking post game, And he's asked about it. I mean, it's a whirlwind day for him, and it's a very ironic day for him. And also, you know, he's so close with Draymond Green, and what Draymond Green was going through with the loss of a former teammate at Michigan State yesterday, I think um, he was very sympathetic to as well. But essentially, if you heard that soundbite saying that an emotional day for him and – One that he'll be happy to talk all about the Kings, but not until the press conference comes. So he's going to keep that on the back burner until either this series is over or potentially the Warriors playoff run is over. Yeah,
2: everything I've been hearing is that they'll wait until the end um, of the Warriors playoff run, whenever that is. But uh, like Sean pointed out, there are going to be gaps. It it does look like there, there could be gaps. Um, between, you know, their series ending and the other Western Conference series uh, ending. Um, you know, the thing that that always stands out, like every time you see Mike Brown, he is smiling. He, he has a good spirit about him. And uh, it's something that I, you know, I think there's gonna be a discussion around him and whether or not he is, uh, we, we already heard it. like I didn't I didn't listen to the whole clip, but Matt Barnes talked about it on d and Casey yesterday about Mike being, you know, pretty easy going and maybe not being like the authoritarian that some people think that the Kings need. Um, but I think that there are a lot of ways to coach. And, and I honestly think that he's a, a really good fit. Brendan, what was, what was your kind of takeaway from watching some of the clip and all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, he seems like a fun personality
3: to be interacting with. Like, Reminded me a little bit of Alvin Gentry. I, I said it before, I thought Alvin was really fun to cover and just interact with as often as we did. Um, and Mike Brown looks like he'll be similar. Like I, I like that you included that little bit at the end of him looking at the camera and joking around a steep curve back as soon as possible. I think that type of stuff just selfishly makes it pretty fun to be around a guy like that. Um, and, and I think that that type of stuff like translates to the players enjoying being around a guy like that as long as it's also – leading to some success and progress on the floor. And I think that the defensive like meticulousness and accountability that Mike Brown is kind of known for could do well for the Kings. Um, I'm curious with the roster that they're working with, because as Sean pointed out, like talent is ultimately what matters most in this league. And I'm not all too confident in their defensive talent but I I think there is potential there and there's ways to improve the roster on that end of the floor and you know the 200 page game plans that are color-coded and figuring out just each specific scenario of what the game plan is and being on the same page and um, I think I mentioned on the last episode like to me so much of accountability is and trusting the guy next to you and culture shows on the defensive end Um, so hopefully we'll see a little bit of that and I'm curious what it looks like on the offensive end as well because he was uh, in charge of a lot of the Warriors offense during that six-year run until most recently he kind of transitioned over the focus more on the defensive side Um, and and when he was in LA he was kind of running a Princeton offense that was similar to what we saw Dave Yeager run for a little while while he was here Um, and I don't know, Jaeger's half-court offense wasn't the most inspiring, but Sabonis is a guy that works better in that offense than uh, Harry Giles or Willie Cauley-Stein. So I'm kind of curious to see how he works with all these pieces. And on the topic of, like, they're just needing to be more talent, how involved do you guys think Mike Brown should be in these offseason moves? Like, is there more of an aspect of maybe – him being on the same page with the front office now that this is the first time Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox are choosing who their head coach
2: is? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I think the biggest issue that we have now is like, how do you build out the roster? I mean, you got the one thing done that you had to get done early in the, in the off season, which was hire a new coach. Uh, now I was asked a question yesterday uh, on the radio, do you think that the Kings are going to look at different types of players now that you have Mike Brown as your head coach? And I don't think so. I don't think that that changes at all. Um, I think that you're still looking for long, athletic, three-point shooting wings and defenders, uh, which is what how this team should be building itself around Sabonis and Fox. Um, but I, I definitely think that uh, you know his ability to have guys follow him on the defensive de- defensive end is it it's one of the aspects of him as a coach that I really like. You know you talk about him like doing some of the offensive things here in the last couple of years uh, with the Warriors. but really he hangs his hat on the defensive end. And I think it's really good for the Kings to have a defensive person who's running the entire show. It's one thing to have good solid defensive coaches. It's another thing to have a coach who is your head coach that is known for one specific thing. And so I think that that's a good thing. And I think it also like getting NBA players to buy in on the defensive end is one of the most difficult things there is to do. All of these guys were like premium athletes their entire careers. They've always been the top scorers on their teams from the time that they were little until the time that they're, you know, however many years uh, through college and everything else, they've always been the guy. And getting the buy-in is something that is really hard to do. I mean, we've watched it uh unfold in Sacramento where no one can get the buy-in on the defensive end and the fact that Mike Brown has consistently been able to get buy-in that shows me that he he has a leadership quality that maybe people are overlooking because he is getting guys to actually focus on one of the toughest things in the game which is defense and and 100% buy-in because that's how you get I mean what was it this year they were uh, the Golden State Warriors were first in defensive rating I mean that's incredible, especially when you look at the roster. Sure, they have Draymond Green, they don't have a natural shot blocker, they don't have a a seven footer really. Uh, they they have injuries all over the place. They got Clay Thompson, you know, coming back after a full two year absence. You know, you got Iguodala playing like a couple of minutes here and there. I'm like, this team, really? How in the world were the Golden State Warriors the number one rated defense in the league? And that's about buy in. That's about like listening to a coach, taking what he has to offer, and using it to your advantage on the court. And so that's that's one of the ways that I, I would kind of look at, you know, how we're going to transition and move forward.
1: Yeah, and I'd say this too. I, I feel like, especially for a guy who's known for such structure, um, you know, it's interesting to hear Matt say that. And and I respect their opinion of what Matt Barnes said on 1320. But I would say, like, I you know, I feel like you can have both. I I know for a guy who has such structure, I feel like the disciplinarian will come out. Maybe he'll have to rely so much more on his staff. Um, I I feel like that's not going to be so much of a problem. I it, I said this on the air on Channel Forty the other day. It was, you know, if you're if you're a player in a Mike Brown system, get ready to work. Um, I you know, no no slight on any other coaches that we've had here in Sacramento, uh, in this recent era, but um Mike Brown is a, is very much a teacher. Um he's very much someone that's going to go through a lot of scheme and uh I think practices will look a little bit different. Um there's also a sense of physicality that comes with a lot of Mike Brown teams as well that that I've been pleasantly surprised with. Um I, I you know, I think in today's game you have to play physical, but I think what the problem is with a lot of young teams is when you play physical, you foul a lot and and that's been a, you know, a real Achilles heel for the Kings. So, um, and in terms of the draft stuff, I, I, I I don't know how active he'll be there. I'm sure he'll be able to voice some opinions. Um, but with the Warriors run probably going into June at this point, or at least poised to, um, I, I don't think that it really matters. I think he can certainly have some, some input there, but, um, that's really going to fall on Monty and west to be able to uh get the right get the right person at the at with whatever pick they end up or if they end up moving it and i think if they end up moving it that's uh ultimately maybe where mike becomes a little bit more involved in 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 voicing some of his uh things that he'd like to see in in players brought in and personnel that's brought in so um but in the meantime he's just got his attention elsewhere and and it's going to be that way for a little while it looks like
3: yeah, I'd imagine also the guys that Monty and Wes have brought in within the last year and a half, two years, are guys that, in my mind, are Mike Brown type of players, like guys that are bought in on the defensive end, giving all out effort there when you think of Davion Mitchell, Dante DiVincenzo, um, if you want to throw like a Nami Keda in there, like I feel like we've seen them put a priority on adding defensive talent and guys that are Engaged and and focused on that end of the floor kind of difference makers that fit what in my mind like a Mike Brown type of player would be. Um, I think like a passing big with Sabonis also kind of fits that on the offensive end. Um, So I I think that they already kind of are working towards the same goal. And, And I do like that they obviously went with a defensive focused guy. Hopefully there's obviously a lot of room for improvement there, even from your top guys with Fox and Sabonis. Curious to see how that duo kind of works in, in pick and roll coverage and the way that they go about that. Um, how long do you guys think it takes to fill out the rest of this staff roughly?
2: Hmm. Um, I think it's an interesting question because we don't even know what's going to happen with the current assistants. So, I mean, I, I checked in this week, they still have, have heard nothing. Um, which you wouldn't expect them to hear. Like Mike Brown's not going to call him day one and say, "Hey, you're fired," or "Hey, you're staying." Um, he's going to want to do interviews. He's going to want to look at uh, a lot of guys that he he worked with in the past. Um, he's gonna he's gonna try to build out a staff that I you know that is reflective of of what he needs, right? So it's not just we're not going to see him bring in, like, all defensive guys. I mean, he needs an offensive, like, mastermind behind the scenes as well uh, to help support him. And, you know, I think he's one of those guys that you you do understand that he does know what he knows and he doesn't know. And what he doesn't know, he he knows that he doesn't know, right, if that makes sense. Um, so I expect him to to bring in some, some savvy veterans. Um, I also – Uh, I wouldn't doubt that maybe Steve Kerr lets him take an assistant uh, or a guy there from Golden State with him. Uh, You know, I don't know, like Chris DeMarco is a guy that has come up in the past here in Sacramento um, that actually almost took a job here in Sacramento before things went a different direction. Um, I know that for a fact, but I also think there are other guys uh, that we're going to hear brought up and Uh, You know, I've heard Melvin Hunt, who is a guy that worked with Mike quite a few times in the past. Um, You know, Sean, are you hearing guys as well?
1: Not so much hearing, but I feel like there will definitely be somebody of head coaching experience, at least as his number one or possibly a number two there, an associate head coach, if you will. Um, I think that's just pretty valuable these days for for most Mm -hmm. places, but... I also feel that the player development side is going to be pretty crucial there, and I look at someone like Phil Handy, who's been with him before. Um, obviously, his tenure has just kind of come to an end with the Lakers on Frank Vogel's staff, and I know he has aspirations of being a head coach. Um, that that could be something that, that could pop up as well, but, um, I mean, Mike Brown has no shortage of people that want to work with him, uh, and I feel like he's already brought a number of those names to the table uh, in his negotiations with Sacramento, so... Uh, I think he's got a pretty keen idea of of who he wants to bring with him. And uh, I would imagine he's got most of that kind of already situated. I would just say that, you know, however, some of the um, other assistants and player development people um, possibly having a holdover or two from the previous regime uh, could be possible. Um, But there's, look, Mike Brown is revered in this league from a coaching standpoint and there's a lot of people that that like to work with him and people that have worked with him have gone on to be head coaches themselves so uh it'll be it'll be i'm very interested to see what the staff looks like but at the end of the day um you know that's something that may could even draw well into the summer i mean you might be there might be additions we've seen it before james where you know we see additions later in July and August and September. So um, it's an evolving process for sure. And uh, uh, one that if I'm Mike Brown and if, if if everything that I know about him being true structure, OCD on steroids, uh, I I would bet that he'd have his staff wrapped up on the quicker end rather than the longer drawn out end.
2: Is there anyone, um, is there anything that you think he needs to really focus on uh, in it with his staff, Sean, is there someone that you think, like, man, like if he could get this guy, it would it would be tremendous.
1: Well, someone he's worked with before, like Steve Clifford. I think he, you know he was obviously a finalist, and I kind of drew a comparison of the uh, Monty McNair, Wes Wilcox thing when they were finalists for the GM job, and 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 they came over as a duo. Um, obviously, with Clifford being a uh, uh, somebody who has worked with Mike in the past, I think that could be something that makes a lot of sense. I don't know that it'll happen. I don't have any. Insight there because I think Steve Clifford's going to have a number of opportunities, um, even beyond the one he currently holds. So, uh, but I feel like something again, kind of going back to that, you're going to need a lot of, uh, I think, exuberance and youth, especially if you do go with someone like Steve Clifford, who's a little bit longer in the tooth. Um, but just a, a lot of diversity in not only your personnel, but in thought process. I think everyone's on the same page and it has to be on that string. But I think diversifying thoughts uh, and 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 um, uh, philosophies and techniques and all that thing I think only helps strengthen your your core of your team and I think you can look really I know Kings fans might cringe but you only look down the road with the Warriors every Steve Kerr's staff has has always had a great sense of diversity 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 w- among philosophies um, personnel and um, the way they just relate to players. I think you have a good mixture of young and old. You have a good mixture of people with head coaching experience. And then you have a lot of people who are just, you know, revered in the game uh, who bring something different to the table that might be a little outside the box. Um, But the personality of the team is very, very consistent and high character. So um, there might be a little bit of a loose feeling there based on the success that Steve Kerr and the Warriors have enjoyed. And that might be a little bit, buttoned up a little bit more here in Sacramento over the first year or two as they try to even experience a little bit of that success. Um, But I think a lot of that will try to mimic what what he's had on previous staffs for sure. Brandon, do you have any concerns?
2: Uh, Like when it comes to the rest of the coaching staff and building it out? Well, that and and Mike Brown in, in general, you know, just like him and like how he will put this thing together, but really like, do you have any concerns that stand out that you're like, hmm, I hope this thing kind of gets taken care of, or um, I hope he he helps himself in this way? I mean, I think the roster still needs to be
3: dramatically improved. That's probably the one standout to me. Like, I'm still thinking that the Kings need to make another pretty big move, um, whether that's, you know, we're a week away right now from the draft lottery, which shock me when I looked it up today. If they jump into top four, maybe that's the big move that you luck into but I still think that there needs to be more added to this roster for Mike Brown and and the new coaching staff to work with Um, and you know I I think that that will because I'm expecting even more adjustment to the roster I think that that'll lead to there being a little bit of a transition period at the beginning of next season but um, kind of on that same topic I wanted to ask you guys and I guess this works as um, I gotta get this voice down The business of basketball. Oh, yeah, I don't got it.
2: The business of basketball. Okay, we're ready. What do you got, Jedi?
1: The Jedi versus the Padawan, right there. (laughs) There we go.
3: (laughs) From all the other coaching staffs that you guys have covered, um, I want to say it's double digits for both of you guys. Do you feel like it's fair to say that there's uh, an expected kind of transition and? Just tough phase at the beginning here as we get used to new schemes, new things being implemented, um, just a new style for all these players. And also considering, like I said, I think there will probably be a little bit of change up to the roster that'll impact that as well. But, you know, we saw it with Udoka in Boston. They got off to a tough start, but then things eventually click like Willie Green in New Orleans this year kind of falls into the same thing. From your guys' experience, are you kind of expecting a little bit of a growing pain
1: at the beginning of this year? Go ahead, James. Because I, I I'm gonna think about that for a second.
2: Growing pains. Um, I don't know. You know what? I, I'm gonna say this. Like Luke Walton said this all the time. We're we're gonna go as far as De'Aaron Fox takes us. Um, Dave Yeager said the same thing all the time. We're gonna go as far as day as De'Aaron Fox takes us. Um, I think De'Aaron Fox learned a harsh lesson coming into last off uh, last season. And whether it was mentally or physically or whatever it was, he wasn't ready. And, uh, and he quickly went from one of the best up and, uh, up and coming young guards in the NBA to someone who's left out of like the top 25 under 25, you know, or the top 10 under 25. Um, and that's something that I hope he realizes and takes to heart. If he does, and he understands how big he is to this entire uh thing then i don't think the kings have the lag early in the season that they have in the past i think they're going to get like they're going to have plenty of conversations this summer about defensive schemes and about what mike brown brings to the table and about what the expectations are but at the end of the day talent wins out every single time and I think Fox has the talent to be an elite star in this league but he has to do it for 82 games. It can't be he takes 20 games to warm up and figure out what's going on and by that time the Kings are, you know, 7 and 13 or 6 and 14 and their season's already shot and you're you're, you know, basically trying to make up a 20-point lead in in the fourth quarter. And so I think that we're going to see a different Fox. I think having Sabonis here is going to help have a different Fox. Um, But also, I really do think that if you can get that going the right way early on, then you can start building out some of these principles when it comes to defense and everything else. So I don't think that there will be a huge lag um, like there has been in the past. At least I hope not. And I hope that Fox has really taken this to heart the way that last season played out and comes in ready to absolutely kill it and have his name... In contention for an all-star spot
1: I would say that I don't think there's a blueprint per se. Um, you mentioned some organizations there Brendan uh, especially in Boston who have experienced a great deal of success and um, there's a culture there and I know that's the cliche of changing the culture ever you hear that so often but you don't only really have to change the culture within the locker room. Certainly, you you want to change the losing mentality and and turn yourself mm-hmm. into a winner, but to me, I think that begins with the front office, James. You and I, I think all three of us are on the same page with the whole talent wins out. The pressure is now on Monty McNair, uh, Wes Wilcox of Ekrona That whole that whole brain trust. Um, you need to get you need to get the talent, and and I think if you're changing a culture, look, let's pretend. That Mike Brown misses the playoffs next year, losing record, which I would point out, he's only really had one losing record uh, in his old time as a coach. I know the one and five season with the Lakers, or yeah. one and four, that doesn't, work. I don't know <laughs> if I'm really kidding. Can- Kobe gave him that look and it was done. We <laughs> have that famous look. Um, I thought 17
3: but, games was short. I
1: don't know. Right, right. <laughs> but you talk about culture. And I think if missing the playoffs, and let's say you go into season two, and as James mentioned, James mentioned you have a seven and fifteen record, whatever that is. I think fans are now accustomed to. All right, well they're going to pull the trigger. They're going to get rid of them. They're they're going to make a change interim head coach, and we we spiral down that rabbit hole again. You have to have at some point some stability, and maybe at that point, if you're doing, if you have a winning or a losing record that way. That's when you have to turn your attention, I think, to more of your front office and what you're doing with the talent that you're bringing in. Because, again, I talked about it a minute ago, you're not going to find many head coaches that are more experienced than Mike Brown. Um, I, I have joked in the past you could bring Phil Jackson in his prime, Greg Popovich in his prime, Red Auerbach in his prime, and put him in Sacramento in any of these last few years. Um, yeah, you might have a little bit of a different, record maybe a few more wins but i'm still not convinced you've got a playoff team in any of these i think when we famously had that podcast james where we went back and said when's the last time you know we really felt that they were going to make the playoffs for me i i i i you know I, I have to see it first like i never predict this team to make the playoffs i just don't uh, i i if you're if you're one of those betting type of people which i really am not but I, maybe it's just i'm a little bit more um Guarded when it comes to things like that. I I know some people spout off. Oh, they're going to win forty games this year. That's where I see them. And I'm like, go. What gives you any indication that they're going to do that? You haven't even seen that. Like they they have, you know, the the thirty nine under Dave Yeager the one year, and they still didn't make it. And uh, I know people were up in arms that they didn't make the forty win. But, but the point being, that's just a long rambling way of just saying you have to have the stability. Um, hopefully, Mike Brown is not replaced in. 2 years even if the record isn't there yet uh or 3 years you know you, you just show this team and this culture that that you're having a coach here that you believe in that's going to be here for the next few years now short of him doing something just completely crazy to where everything has shifted and turned on its ear and the, he's lost the locker room that could be a different conversation but showing the stability it, i think will mean every, look there's no honeymoon period there's no grace period but there, there. But you give Mike Brown the keys to leave your franchise, and everybody else has to have that pressure on them. Mike Brown. Well, it's a it's a results, it's a results industry. You got to have the results, uh, and it is a business. But I feel like the pressure should be on other people than than the new head coach.
2: Hang on, I want to add something to that. Um, Monty and Wes need new contracts to coincide with the Mike Brown era. And that hasn't happened yet um, from everything I've I've been told. It hasn't happened. Um, so I'm just going to say that that's the other element here. When Sean talks about stability, it's got to be stability with all of them. Like give this group the leeway. They made a franchise-altering trade. It changed everything. Everything can be different if you do it right. Give them the leeway. I'm willing to take that... That first really small off season that Monty McNair had. I mean, he gets I think he he was hired on September seventeenth, and then people remember like coming out of the bubble. You didn't have, um, like, we didn't have a natural like off season at all. What we had was, like, the draft one day and uh, free agency started like two days later. I think the draft was on a Thursday. Kings traded for Tristan Thompson on a Wednesday. The draft was on a. A Thursday, free agency started Saturday morning, and so it was boom, boom, boom. And he sat out that first one. And I don't like giving people like, "Hey, you you did nothing in an off season." Like to me, like Glenn Robinson the third and Hassan Whiteside, that's like almost doing nothing. Um, But then we saw him make trades at the deadline. We saw him uh, make a really good draft pick. We saw him, uh, you know, going into the next summer try to bolster his uh, his core. And that didn't work out. But, you know, I think what we've seen now is that, like, he is able to go swing for the fences. So let's give him the leeway. And also, let's not keep doing the same thing where you have a head coach and a GM that are on different timelines. This is Monty's hire. Let him be here for the duration of the Mike Brown era here in the beginning, uh, whether that's four years or it gets extended or it ends up at three years, whatever it might be. we got to break this cycle where Sacramento, for a lot of coaches, should be the best job in in the league because you get paid four years for doing work for two. And that's just, you know, it's a, it's a nice little two-for-one you get, and that's not the way it should be. And so I think that's the next step here that we need to see is the stability of locking down the front office and, and Monty and Wes and giving them the opportunity to see this thing through there is no more Joe Dumars there's no more Ken Catanella like it it really is shrunk down to two guys and Vivek like moving forward and I I think that that's you you need to cement that you need to kind of support that with by paying these guys and, and locking them up
3: yeah I think the jury's still out on on Monty and Wes and how they are as general managers like I think it's pretty easy to present the argument either way on if you believe in them and the moves that they've done or if you're skeptical of of the moves that have taken place but the reality of like you're saying they just brought in a head coach that is somebody that those two guys want and you allowed him to make a trade them to make a trade that Drastically altered the direction of the franchise with Halliburton and Sabonis. Like, you can't allow a front office to make a move like that and not see it through. So, that's why I'm with you. Um, I'm still a little up in the air on on how I feel about Moni and Wes and the job that they've done as general managers, but I think that for those reasons. I'm with you. It makes makes sense to get those guys on the same page here. And I can't help but laugh at how much I've heard continuity these past
2: <laughs> two three years. I can only imagine your guys. Consistency, continuity, yes.
1: Uh, I also feel, too, that I can paint a picture here of, I think you can get to September and you can decide, okay, whether or not you're going to extend them, whether you're not going to let them go into the... Uh... I think there's a difference in having your front office people go in to a final year of a contract with no um with nothing guaranteed beyond the season a lame duck so to speak um i do feel it's different in coaching coaching because you have the locker room you need to show the organ you have you need to show the locker room that the organization has their support you don't necessarily have to do that with your front office people i know they'd probably backhand they'd be like shut up sean because <laughs> they'd, they'd want the stability and they'd want the you know the the, the guarantee that being said if it doesn't happen Uh, And what James talked about, that whole vicious cycle that we see where the coach is gone, the GM's gone, and it's somebody they didn't hire and all that. I could also see another option of that, if you will, where um, maybe one of them is gone and the other one's still here to show a little bit of that stability. And maybe they go out and get another tandem, uh, another think trust where they have like another, maybe you elevate one of them to a general manager or president of basketball operations whatever you want to call it, some fancy title. And then you bring in some other pieces to replace a or a wes, depending upon which one you wanted to keep to try to keep some of that continuity, but also bring in something that maybe just wasn't there yet to hold yourself accountable in a different way. So that way you don't have to say, well, they didn't pick the coach. And look, ultimately Vivek and whoever was the holdover would still had had power over picking that head coach and Mike Brown, and also anybody that you hire would have to be more than um more than comfortable with Mike Brown as their head coach. So I you know, it's not the most ideal situation I think in a perfect world, yeah, James, you're absolutely right. Pick up those, you know, if there's an option out there to be had or extend them. Um I think I'm not telling anything anybody doesn't know. I mean, the, this is a front office that isn't necessarily the 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 highest paid in the league so i don't think that the money is going to be much of an issue and even if it gets to a point where that gives them more peace to be able to do their job at any point you want to shift gears you can certainly do that and it's not going to you know be anything that that's going to really attack the pocketbook very much you've shown the ability to not be this frugal franchise and and shown the ability to pay people not to be here so um if if ultimately you have to go to that crossroad you do it but um, if that, if you do feel that that helps your organization in the, in the best way possible and it's just better business to do so, then yeah, do it.
2: Yeah. And I'll make the distinction. We kind of muddied these guys together, but like Money is a GM and Wes is the assistant GM. They're like, they're on somewhat of equal footing in, in plenty of ways, but, um, and they have split duties. Like they, they broken up the duties there behind the scenes. But Monty's still the guy who actually makes the final decision. He is the guy. I I would like at some point one of them to be elevated to, you know, sort of that that next step, the president of basketball operations, and then have the next step be the general manager and then maybe an assistant GM. Uh, But it does feel like they still need a chief strategy officer too. Oh, no. (laughs) Brendan.
1: That could be you, Brendan. Brendan. Let's
2: do it. That's right. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I think, uh, like, Jason Thompson is available because, you know, if you're just going to go with former kings that you bring in and have them, like, yeah. So <laughs> get JT or maybe Luther Head. Luther Head's out there somewhere, I'm Luther sure. Luther Head. Luther James, Head. James, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, that uh, what are we doing? <laughs> what I mean, are we doing? <laughs> that's been the problem the whole time. What are we doing? Um, and the answer is amassing losses Sean that's what the answer is uh um, I'm gonna ask this question uh we talk about how the Kings roster has to be somewhat like they need more clearly we all know that right um but like do you think Mike Brown gets a sort of a bum rap for um for what he did in Cleveland the first time around because I went back and looked at those rosters and sure you had young LeBron James but like When Mike Brown took over, LeBron James was 22 years old, and that team was trash. Like outside of LeBron James, we're talking about like Larry Hughes is his number two, and Zadrunas Ilgoskis averaging like less than 14 points a game is like their third leading scorer. And there was not a lot there. Even when they went to the, the finals in his second season as head coach, I mean, that team was bad. I mean outside of LeBron James it's bad and you know I'm not going to say that that DeAaron Fox the combination of DeAaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis are better than LeBron James I'm not going to be silly and say something like that but at the same time like what Mike Brown was able to do with like lesser talent was pretty impressive I think the the second like the best player that uh, or highest scoring player that LeBron played with during Mike Brown's five years there was was Mo Williams, averaging, like, 17.8 points per game. Like, at some point, you have to, like, give him props for getting a marginal team with one superstar all the way to the NBA Finals and to 60-win seasons and, like, quality years.
1: Yeah, I mean, the bum rap might be there, but it's, it's the... Uh... Again, it's because he had a superstar, and that's it's kind of what I was hearkening back to in the beginning of this podcast. Which, uh, I mean, you have some nice pieces in Sacramento. You don't have a superstar. You have an all star, somebody who's had all star type numbers. You know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and uh, when it comes to like somebody like Damana Sabonis he doesn't need to make the all-star team again. He can just put up all-star type numbers. And if you think back of like DeMarcus Cousins before he actually became an all-star, James, he had that insane season where he just put up incredible numbers. The team was trash. They were not winning. Uh, And conversely, he, you know, he didn't make the all-star team, but he put up some incredible numbers. And that's, if you can have that type of output, that's fantastic. But, I think it gets the bum rap, James, because of the fact that he had that superstar. And that's what I think over here in Sacramento, there's a, there's a, I don't know want to call it a pressure or relief of pressure, but not having a true superstar on your team, or even maybe to the fact of where you have a budding superstar. And I don't think that is the case with De'Aaron and Fox at all. Um, I wouldn't call him a superstar, but maybe a budding all-star, um, kind of takes some of that pressure off because you don't have a LeBron who he had to coach. You don't have a Kobe who he had to coach. Uh, I mean, having those types of players puts in a – I mean, look, it's a luxury because talent wins out, but it also puts a lot of pressure on your shoulders. So you can have a, what, a 41-and-whatever season it was with the Lakers with Kobe Bryant that first year, but the next year when you're 1-and-5 and and there's some – friction there because you have a structured system and Kobe is a type of player that he is. You find yourself out on your ass because there's, because you just, you know, it's a star driven league. So this could be a better situation. If you look honestly, and then you look at Memphis, right? They have a budding star superstar in John Morant. Um But he came up through that system and wasn't a star right away. He was a heralded pick. Don't get me wrong, but he wasn't a LeBron James. And I think, you know, there were, we were having conversations two years ago John ja Morant, De'Aaron Fox, Lonzo Ball—like all those were kind of in the same category as who's going to take that leap. Clearly, it was John ja Morant. So um, Taylor Jenkins has had the ability to be there for a good portion of that and bring him, bring him up. Uh, whereas when Mike Brown got LeBron James, LeBron James was a bad MF in this league and was as a superstar and one of the faces of the of the whole NBA. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think it's interesting because there's, I think it, there's the complications of working with a superstar or superstars like Sean pointed out. But I think it also makes it a little easier in ways when it comes to just scheming of like, okay, we're optimizing this guy, and how can everybody complement this one specific star? And I think that Foxabonus is like a pretty tough pairing to optimize. You know, both guys. Um, don't shoot very well. I think that they both have shown flashes there and like I'm optimistic that they can improve, even, but they do both need to. I don't think it's like a very obvious defensive fit between those two. Like As much as I think there is potential for them to be like one of the better two-man games in the league, I think that there are still a lot of ways in my mind where they kind of are questionable as a pairing. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see how he works to optimize those two and what the surrounding pieces are. Like you point at Memphis, like jaw is obviously phenomenal and I sound crazy. I don't know that. I think Fox is like super far off from Jaw Morant. Um, Jaws, obviously the better player, but like, I, I still do think really highly of Fox. And like you said, it wasn't that long ago we were having a conversation of those guys being um, kind of neck and neck. And it's the surrounding pieces, like it's the culture that's already in place. It's like look at the record that they have when when Jaw's not out there because they still are just phenomenal defensively and fitting around that one specific star um compared to fitting around a pairing because while it's easy to look at like Sacramento's roster and see where they have talent that's promising, where I get lost is that it's all relative. Like you look at the other rosters that's surrounding the bottom of the Western conference in this play-in, like all of these rosters are extremely talented. Um, So like looking at Sacramento's by itself is impressive. But then when you're talking about like the Lakers are one seat above them last year, and obviously the talent that's on that team, um, the Clippers are going to be getting back Kawhi, the Pelicans could be getting back Zion Williamson. Like to me, an optimal outcome for the Kings is maybe like what we saw with Minnesota like a seventh seed Um, and maybe that's kind of if everything goes right so definitely optimistic since we've seen Mike Brown work with lesser talented rosters kind of like what we talked about with Cleveland with LeBron being the clear outlier there but yeah I mean it's, it's tough when I look at the rest of the competition in the west because there's a lot of really talented teams that are well coached and have even more potential for internal growth with some of these young guys
1: and Brendan, when he, when Mike Brown, that 2013-14 season, when he went back to the Cavs, I don't think people remember. Like, that that was before LeBron returned to Cleveland, right? So that was Kyrie's second year. You have guys like Anthony Bennett, who was famously taken, you know, number one, and that was his rookie season. You've got, you know, Andrew Bynum, Seth Curry, Dellavedova, Lou Dang who's in his ninth DL year. At that Waiters. Part. Yeah, I mean, just going down that that roster. Granted, that was Tristan Thompson's second year, and obviously we know what happened there. But like, the, it's not a not a good team. Spencer Hawes on that team, by the way, uh, not a not a great team. Uh, still won thirty three games, but he only lasted the one year there, you know, before getting out. So um, LeBron comes in, and he and I think he replaced Byron Scott, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You might have to check me on that, but he did. Um, interestingly enough, like that was his lone losing season. And so that could be a, uh, very much a precursor to what you might see here, depending upon what this roster looks like, you know, maybe that's very similar to what, if if Sacramento doesn't get the talent in that first year, you're wondering what it looks like. Maybe it's something similar to that.
2: Yeah. For me, I mean, the, the Kings are much more talented than that roster. If you really break it down, like they have higher end talent, they, they have higher ceiling guys. Um, you know, they also, they don't have like a guy like waiters who like, like I was told like one of the worst teammates in the history of the game, like just not a good teammate. Um, you know, so you didn't have a distraction. They're not going to walk into the season as of right now with like a major distraction type player. Um, and, you know, when I, I look at, we, we talk about some of these teams, right, that are around the Kings, the thing that that Memphis has, Memphis doesn't have just so much more talent than the Kings. They just have an identity. They do. I mean, they, they have a next man up mentality. Um, I mean, if you're telling me that, like, Kyle Anderson is so much better than, I don't know, Trey Lyles, like, sure, he's a better player, but is he so much better and you go position by position, you know, they they've done a good job of bringing young players up of supporting guys like Desmond Bain, who all of a sudden steps up and becomes a really good player, um, of finding guys like Dylan Brooks in the second round. And, and again, fostering that, that putting him in a situation to succeed and, and really having him succeed, uh, certain guys there, you know, they come in, they go, they, they kind of like hit their peak and, uh, you know, but overall, it's, it's a mindset that they have. And that's where I thought the Kings were really falling behind. They, they're falling behind because they're not establishing the culture. They're not establishing, like, th- how a franchise is supposed to be run and pushing forward and sticking to a plan. When I see Memphis, I see a, a franchise that it, it almost doesn't really matter. Like who is playing from one night to the next? You're gonna get the <laughs> same exact mentality.
1: James, they're 20 and five without Jaw Morant. Incredible! It's 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 mind blowing. And you yeah. look at even last night, not to go back to that Warrior game, but like Stephen Jackson, or Stephen Adams hadn't played in the series. He played in garbage minutes in Saturday's game, first time we've seen him in the playoffs. And all of a sudden, here he is, and then he starts in Game Four. Uh, without John Morant they changed things up a little bit their defense was insane Adams was fantastic and there wasn't a point in that game that I you know I thought that the Warriors would win the game early on by third quarter I had completely shifted the way they had defended and and played as a unit uh, they were beating up the the Warriors and it it just so happens that you know the Warriors down the stretch you put you know Steph Curry at the free throw line he's going to hit free throws so that's how they pull out and you know, all of a sudden they weren't able to make a shot down the stretch. So, you know, that's just the way it was. But for a good portion of that game, Memphis looked like they had the game again. Twenty and five without John ja Morant, and they very easily could have been twenty one and five, twenty one and four. Uh, excuse me, going to Memphis for game five here. So, um, just incredible that a team is able to do that without their superstar, uh, and how much they rely on John ja Morant, and how differently that they play with John ja Morant as a offensive player but defensively you wouldn't notice that he wasn't on the floor
2: it's about culture go ahead brendan it is i think that it
3: is about culture but i would also kind of fight back a little bit that i think memphis is a lot more talented on the defensive end um i think that it is about buy-in and culture that's a big aspect like sacramento can drastically improve with the roster that they're working with now but um I don't know. I do think Memphis has some really good defenders on their roster and capable three-point shooters. They have smart players. Like They don't have any Buddy Healds or Marvin Bagley. I know the Kings aren't working with that anymore, Um, but I I do think that they have some really nice pieces when it comes to the marginal complementary players, and that's kind of what we need to see Monty McNair, Wes Wilcox fill out Sacramento's roster with, and I, I do think they need another guy at the top to kind of fill out the the starting lineup as well here in Sacramento but uh, I think it's a little bit of a combination of both and um, is there more pressure this season than there was at the beginning of last year no no
1: no I don't think so
2: yeah I don't think so either I mean at this point you already own the record for the longest playoff drought in NBA history like I, I would like to say that there's I mean there's pressure to win certainly like this is Mike Brown is a win now move but it's a win now move that should be win now you know 10 years from now as well like I if think it all you, works out I you think know. you
1: have to define the pressure like for who like I, I said it's I Sabonis pressure to me Well I think the pressure's on you know I think the pressure's on the front office cuz they they went after Sabonis but now Sabonis is playing with a new coach so he's playing with a second coach like you know to me again the the pressure it, I don't think it's any bigger in the sense in the basketball. You know, the pressure could be on De'Aaron Fox because you haven't seen him in the playoffs. Um, again, like it, these are, I think these are things you take into account. But again, you have to find the right talent. But uh, to me, I don't think it's on Mike Brown. I won't think it's on necessarily this team because here we are, May tenth, gentlemen. And we still don't know who the hell's going to be on this team yet. So um, you've got a seventh pick likely in the draft that could very well be a nice trade ship and probably will be uh, because this is are Look, they've shown that they're looking to contend for the playoffs right now. They're not looking in trying to rebuild. It's a, it's a, it's a soft rebuild because you're adding pieces that, that are in the now in the, t- in the primes of their career. And, and you're right. The, you're talking about basketball IQ. I, I completely agree. I think they have gotten a lot smarter. I also think with the addition of Mike Brown, with this structure, especially being under coaches like Popovich, Carlisle, Steve Kerr for the past, you know, however many years in this dynasty era, on the offensive end, that ball had better freaking move. I cannot tell you how much I get. It drives me crazy to see the Kings dribble the hell out of the basketball. Move the ball. That ball has to move. Um, and you look at, you know, what you talked about Memphis. Yes, they're they're amazing defensively. But offensively, they move the freaking ball as well, and that just has to be there. I You have playmakers, essentially, at every single position. That's one of the things that the Warriors do so well. For as great as they are defensively, every player moves the ball. Every player is capable of being a playmaker. And if you can't replicate that, I don't see how you can turn that into success.
2: Yeah, I think the one interesting thing is, we can go back to the how the season ended, but every Kings player like let a break. Like what Alvin Gentry did where he gave them like carte blanche to to go. You know, Damian Jones dribbling down the court, Shemezu Metu leading a break. Like we saw these guys grabbing the ball and going. Uh, I, I think that if you can pull some of that idea, some of what we saw from Alvin, and, and especially in the second half, I thought he was really creative when it came to Fox and Sabonis and what little sample size we saw. Um, I, I hope that Mike has that in his playbook. I, the ability to push the tempo, his teams do typically play slower. Um, and that's something that, you know, he's going to get pushed on. He's going to get pushed on because you have a Ferrari. You don't want to, you don't want to put it on blocks and in, uh, De'Aaron Fox. And so I hope that they're able to surround him with the right pieces, but also like, look, if you're a coach in the league, I think the most brilliant thing that we've seen from a head coach in Sacramento over the last 16 years was when Dave Yeager just looked at his roster and said, okay, we're going to sprint. We're just going to go, 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 go. Dave Yeager completely changed who he was as a coach in his final season in Sacramento and found great success. And if Mike Brown isn't able to do that, if he's not able to be versatile with, especially on the offensive end, then it's going to look clunky. And, you know, there's nothing worse than a bad team that is that isn't interesting, right? And, and that's something he's going to have to make sure that, like, his style of play isn't so... Like structured and slow it down and focused on the defensive end, that it's not fun because if the wins don't come, like losing games and scoring in the '90s is not going to be something that anyone wants to watch. And so, if there's one thing that I would point out that you got to worry about with Mike Brown, it's that it's that he needs to be he needs to take what he learned from Steve Kerr and put it in motion with, of course, lesser players. Because the Kings don't have Steph and Clay and Draymond, and you know all the guys that that we see down there, even a Jordan Poole. like you gotta you gotta figure out a way to Fe- future make this future
1: thing. King future King yeah. Jordan Poole?
2: Oh Jesus, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see that coming, don't you? I do. Yeah, make a run, make a run at him. Um, all right, so uh, we we got a couple of other other things to cover. Um, Steph threw some shade. I don't think he threw shade. I think it was like taken. Like I watched him say what he said. I think he threw like five sentences together that none of them had anything to do with each other. And when you put the five sentences in a paragraph, it looks like, oh, I think he threw shade. Uh, Brennan, you have that the, the quote from Steph last night.
3: I do. It was right after they won that game. So kind of heat of the moment. And Steph's a little bit all over the place. Can you um, do
1: your best Steph Curry impression? Just for just for us the listening audience. Hmm. Um pressure's on, buddy. Pressure's on. <laughs> I don't know how to do this one.
3: Um <laughs> Steph's got a pretty he doesn't have a standout like thing
2: about his voice to replicate. Can you do a Steph Curry quote uh using Homer Simpson's voice? Yeah, that'd be even better. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think so. I'm just going to go he, ahead and read this one. Who, who's
1: your best impression? Do it that way. <laughs> do you have an impression? I don't know uh, if I do. Go ahead, Brendan. I'm sorry. I <laughs> you no, you're okay. You're okay. I'll prep for that.
3: the next one. I'll prep for the next one. Uh, um, the quote from Steph right after the game is: uh, "You talk about historically bad shooting. A lot of history was made. He's been named head coach twice in 24 hours. I felt like we got traded to the Kings overnight." I don't know how to explain all this. We're obviously happy for him in his next gig, end quote. Pretty funny to see the Kings be the focal point of kind of socials and a lot of different talks around right after a playoff win, but I'm with you. I don't know how much of it was like a shot at the Kings where he's saying that like we're a Mike Brown coach team, so I guess we're the Kings right now. Like he was kind of all over the place, but it was funny no matter.
1: Facts is facts and truth hurts. <laughs> I mean, let's what did he, point to the lie? Where did he say? Point to the lie. I'm sorry, it, it's true.
2: <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: Canadian sorry, <laughs> Canadian
2: sorry. Uh, I think he
3: also said Clay Thompson was looking like Buddy Healed out there, but I don't know if that one. How about I, I the line? Heard it.
1: How about the line from Charles Barkley, which was I think it pregame or halftime? Someone might be able to. I, I saw it later because uh, obviously. Wasn't watching. I was at the game, but him saying something about, "Hey, Mike Brown, you better win this game, or Sacramento may fire you." <laughs> I mean, that's I. I mean, comedic comedic value totally there for 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 Chuck, and, and I like it because it pokes fun at just the instability that we've seen.
2: Well, I, I mean, that's where the whole winning cures off. You want to change right. the narrative around you, then change the narrative by winning, and. You know, change the narrative the right way, and, and and I hope that the Kings are are on a path to start changing that narrative. Um, I, I hope that Mike Brown is one of the guys that can actually help change that narrative. Um, we have this uh, this weird thing on what is today? Today is Tuesday. On Tuesday, the Sacramento Kings are bringing in oh boy, I'm going to butcher this Jaden Shackleford from Alabama. Johnny, is it Juzing from UCLA? Uh, I don't know how to say it. Lee from Davidson. I'm not even going to try his first name, Tyler Burton from Richmond and Keon Brooks from Kentucky, Justin Mutz from Virginia tech. So the Kings have started to bring in, um, these are all like late second undrafted players. Uh, but the draft process has started and it's funny because, um, in past years, uh, well, the COVID, the COVID years have kind of messed with everything. Like in the Kyle Guy year, the Kyle <laughs> Guy draft, the Kings brought in 101 prospects. Uh, yeah, like like 101 Dalmatians. Like they just kept bringing in draft prospects, and it was ridiculous because they bring him in in sets of six. And Is then Kyle Guy, Proella Deville, then. Is that how uh, words? M- Maybe it's fly? possible. <laughs> I don't uh, <laughs> actually. I wasn't that uh, our friend McGlish. That that did that, Anthony. That brought in all those prospects. He's, I, I think, he lined them up. That's what I want to say. He, he
1: was definitely part of it. Part of the, you know, the scheduling and and making those happen. But I will say, like, again, Vladi gave everyone the blueprint. Like, I don't draft you unless you work out for us. So, um, when you do that, you're going to try and shoot your shot and get as many people in your building as you can, and then yep. so many of them as, you know, people people shouldn't freak out if you don't see a name come through Sacramento because they go and attend so many agency workouts in other cities yeah. Vegas, LA, um, pre-draft in
2: Chicago. 100%. Yeah, the, so. The G League thing ha- is playing out this year. Um Yeah, yeah like how my so, only movie reference I can make is
3: 101 Dalmatians.
2: Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs>
1: did you do your homework assignment? What did Culture. we task
3: him with? <laughs> what what platform is it on?
2: Oh, what? There's such a, there's something about Mary? Yeah. Oh man. Uh, I on, don't man. know. Somebody you know, on demand. GTS, GTS, Amazon, Google that. <laughs> uh, I have it here on DVD, so if you're around, you can just drive up and, and pick it up in the <laughs> rain. Uh, we, I, I would sit here and watch it with you, Brendan. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, it's different, though. Like Sean and I have been so used to this for years. Like again, that one year with 101, I think we had 17 draft workouts. Like, and then we're here doing the podcast because the Kings didn't invite us. They didn't invite us to the pre-draft workout. And uh, I think it's partially because their entire media relations staff is uh, gone. You know, Uh, I think it's partially because uh, they just went through COVID and they can get away with it. Uh, Like, I think we did a couple of Zoom calls at one point with some of these guys. But Sean, just as someone who's covered this forever, like... We got to get back in there for these, right?
1: Yeah, I hope uh, it definitely changes. Maybe this isn't the year it'll change. Uh, maybe once you know some, you get some people in place. I do hope that they return because I feel like having the, the stories that come through, having people in your building is is showing that you've done your due diligence and putting it on paper is one thing. And look, I know there's the constant reminder of seeing Kawhi Leonard wearing a King's jersey sitting in your gym and Damian Lillard wearing a King's jersey sitting in your gym and famously, you know, seeing that draft blow up in your face. However, it shows you at least had the person there. Um, it, you show that you're not getting skipped over, which has happened in the past. You know, you've had people that you'd want to bring in and would not work out for you. Um You know, give you an example. Steph Curry never worked out for the Warriors. Steph Curry worked out for the Kings uh, in their famous, famous uh, pre-draft workout. But, um, granted, it worked out well for the Warriors. But to have people skip you by, I think, shows that – I think it looks bad. I, I just think it does. To show that you had the chance to get somebody and you, you know, kick the tires on them Look. There's No one's expecting you to have a crystal ball and know how anything's going to work out. But it shows you're doing your due diligence and you're putting them out there. And it also shows some of the you know the local people that are able to come in that have local ties. You learn more about these draft prospects along the way. I think it does a really good job of, especially when you're not, I don't care where you're drafting in the draft, having the ability to have those people on your floor and even have your media talk to them, it takes the mystery out of, with the seventh pick in the 2022 draft, the Sacramento Kings select Joe Bag of Donuts. And everyone goes, who the F is that? And you have nothing to go to. And, and you just don't know anything. And there's this whole like uh, cold start to that person's future. Uh, by having somebody in your building and having the media being able to talk to them, I, help, I, I think, in my opinion, it helps ease the way in for your fan base to get to know somebody and like somebody and have a rooting interest in somebody look that you can say you can dismiss that. Look, the front office shouldn't give a damn about any of that, but it matters when you draft a guy that people are excited about. and Fox is probably the last one I can really remember that this fan base got excited about. Guess what? They went out and bought freaking tickets. So that matters it is a business at the end of the day you want to see people in the stands get their pe- get these stories out there get people ha- let them have the access to the- to these people especially coming out of a of a awful pandemic where the access was not there so um, that's my soapbox for the day uh, i i think that access matters around especially a sports team that isn't any damn good so <laughs> try to change your narrative be better if you want to be like you know these upper echelon teams in the league that do it right do it right
2: it's interesting because um, it's it's almost like they don't think that we still hear what happens at these things. So, like, we all know that, like, there was a workout with uh, with Justin Jackson and, um, man, there was a couple of big names in that, but Kyle Kuzma, right? And Kyle Kuzma, like, took everyone to the woodshed. A- and the coaching staff wanted Kyle Kuzma. They wanted Kyle Kuzma because they're all friends with Larry Kristowiak, who was his college coach. They all like coached in the minor leagues with Larry Kristowiak. And so they all knew about Kuzma coming in and then they take Justin Jackson at number 15 and Kuzma falls to 27. One of them is a really good player in the league. And the other one is in the G league. Um, and unfortunately the Kings chose the one that's in the G league. And so like we always hear anyways, about a lot of what happens just because like agent and talk and, and, you know, players around the building, and you know, you always end up getting a little bit of the story. So, I would like to have a little bit more access. Uh, and I like to be there a little bit more, even though gas prices just seemingly keep going up. I'm not sure like where they'll end. So, I'm like, uh, do I really want to drive in the rain and spend like $47 on gas getting there and back? Um, but outside of that, uh, I'd also like to see Brendan get a look at this because it's a lot different to do a mock draft when. You meet the kid, you meet the player. You have an idea of who they are. You hear how they talk. You you get, you know, you see how they handle the media. If they're timid, if they're confident, Uh, you you can learn a lot from this process. Uh, And that's why I kind of hope that Brendan, you get a shot uh, to take some of these guys in.
1: But it's also tradition, man. Like, it's not a tradition that should be broken. You know, these these are the you, you. You learn about people, you know, it, it it, look this summer for basketball outside of summer league and really summer league. I mean, look, whatever you can treat it. Most people, there's a lot of people that don't even give a damn about summer league, but what does football do so well? It's a year round sport. The NFL is a year round sport topical all the time. The NBA stays topical and relevant with things like this in your local markets and all the teams, all the good teams still do it. You know, they all still do it. Um, to to all of a sudden be the team that's like, oh, no, we're going to be secretive and, and we'll, we'll let you know, you know, we'll, we'll get word of who comes through, um, be it through agencies or even if the team wants to announce it themselves, that's fine. But if you have somebody like Jordan Shackelford in your in your building, there's a reason you brought him here. Like there's a reason you're kicking the tires on him. There's a reason you want to see him. Help get that story out there. Help get that interest out there. Have You want your city to be talking about you. You don't want your city to be talking about the Warriors right now who are in the playoffs and looking like they're primed for a, a, an NBA Finals run. So this is how you get back your 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 fan base in a way. I think it's a small step, and it's one that just makes the most sense. And it's not a lot of work, to be honest. I, I know there's some struggles right now with the way the, the, the organization is structured. But when they're right, this is something that I expect and I would fight to help bring back.
3: Yeah, I'd love to be a part of it for sure. One interesting aspect to me is just like over or undervaluing and finding the balance in how they interview and interact compared to like on floor production. Um, because obviously both are important, but kind of gauging and finding that balance. Like I think of, you know, how it's whispered that like Golden State. Didn't want anything to do with LaMelo because of a interview. And uh, my understanding is LaMelo's not a very good interview. Um, if you hear him talk, there's like a Mike Schmitz, you know, Mike Schmitz watched film with a lot of guys in the draft process. You watch one with LaMelo, it's easy to see why, like, you would maybe think a little bit more about it. But obviously, on court, LaMelo gets it done. So, like, it's an interesting aspect to me that I'd like to kind of experience a little bit and, and figure out how to find that balance and for what it's worth just these um six guys that sacramento brought in i kind of just did a brief bit of background on them before we hopped on here and like Vicini's board just just that one is the only one i pulled up for him but like lee from davidson is 53rd juzang ucla is 80 84th burton from richmond is 80th so again it's like late second rounders maybe somebody falls in love with somebody you never know in the second round really um and every single one of these guys is at least a junior, if not older. Shackleford's the only guy who's not six six or higher, and 6'6 or taller. And outside of Brooks and Mutz, they're all at least 35% three-point shooters on pretty significant volume for some of them. And then Brooks and Mutz are two uh, pretty big stock guys who Monty has a little bit of a history of going after guys with some steal and block rates, um, maybe a little bit of a defensive impact. So length and shooting length and shooting
2: length and shooting um yeah like like doing this for so long i mean like we had the jimmer thing where the lady hid in the bushes um isaiah thomas came through that was the only pre-draft workout i missed in 2011 Uh, so can can I get the, the spark notes on
1: yeah, yeah on this lady hid in the bushes? You might have to go go down. There's that a road lady the
2: w- with a sign like "We love you, Jimmer" or something hiding in the bushes at Arco Arena, like so when Jimmer drove up. Um, Jimmer also like when he did get drafted by the Kings, he drove like this really crappy like teal blue Hyundai Elantra, and uh, one night his dad came out after a preseason game. I was walking out. And his dad is wandering the parking lot looking for his car, for uh, for Jimmer's car. And so Alfredette like hopped in the front seat of my truck at the time, and I drove him all around the parking lot looking for Jimmer's car, which again was like, like a thirty-five hundred dollar car. <laughs> it was it was pretty in it, interesting, but uh, like that. I think part of it is that I mean, uh, Michael Carter Williams famously saying like. Yeah, I think myself was like uh Jason Kidd but uh, like the in his prime. Yeah, not the old like like sort of dumpy Jason Kidd who it like is incredible and winning championships, but like the Jason Kidd in his prime is like, oh, okay. And then you also hear that he he missed like 99 out of 100 of his jump shots in, in his pre-draft workout and broke down on the floor. Um you know, you get Taco Fall walking in and everyone in the building is like, holy cow, like what, that is one gigantic human being. So you get like all of these things, or even like a guy like Lou Dort came through and you're like, man, that dude is ripped and there's something about him. And you know, there are certain guys that come through that you're like, they draw your interest. In. And, and so you end up following their career a little more closely because you had conversations with them, even like Clay Thompson, uh sean it was you who asked him about his marijuana arrest right beforehand right (laughs) i'm
1: i'm i may have alluded to it i mean there's certainly there was a there was a cloud pun intended hanging over (laughs) clay thompson coming in so um but again i mean I've, i've known that kid since he was in high school and or, or been familiar I don't really know him know him but like been familiar with him is I was, that guy was insane high school player that was on all the AAU teams and um the one guy that would just defend and lock you up and still be capable of going out there and scoring so having him like him and Brandon Jennings two are probably the two among the two best basketball high school players I've seen in my in my era uh because I didn't really get Jason Kidd you know that was I was too young so uh, those two, especially in California, just in, incredible high school players. Ryan
2: Anderson, he was good. Yeah, team he's up there. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So I got Marcus Bagley. Well. <laughs> I covered Marcus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, in I, the state, state, state of California, like what those two dudes did was was pretty impeccable. We had
2: Mark, uh, Marcus Bagley come through for yeah. a pre-draft workout, um, right? Yeah. Think yes. So. No. Uh, no. Are you sure?
1: I last can't year. remember.
2: I can't remember either. No, his freshman year. Um. Oh no, it would have been last year, wouldn't it? Interesting. I was thinking we did. Um. Okay. So. Uh. Outside of that. Um. You know. Again, I, I hope we're let back into building because uh, it is important in my my opinions because it gives us like a better understanding of who some some of these players are and. You get guys that are just much, much bigger or, or much shorter or much longer, like with like uh, wingspan wise. And you like, they come in the building and you're just like, holy cow, like either you like somebody or you don't like they're a bad interview. They're a good interview. I, it just adds more, I don't know, more information to the, the pot when you're trying to, you know, evaluate some of these guys. So I think it's important. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have a, a good Mother's Day?
1: Yeah. Well you you didn't.
2: Oh no, I had a great Mother's Day. It was the day before. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'll, okay. Apologies. So I'll tell this I'll, I'll tell this story really quick, um, because I, I did post it uh on, on the interwebs. Um uh, so on Saturday, uh we had to move my son's boat. And yes, my son has his own pontoon boat, but it's a long story. He he built it for a senior <laughs> project with my dad. Um they whittled it out of clay. Um that's of that's they did. that's how we roll here with the hams. Uh we, he took a, a boat that was l- literally given to him and, uh, tore it down to nothing and rebuilt it for a senior project. And it's really beautiful and cool. If you
1: go camping with James and you don't make your own fire by rubbing sticks together, you're just not, you're just not a camp. You're just not that. Sean, I don't camp. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. Camp <laughs> I is all do about building a culture with. the I go to the, the, I, I, I the, go to the water.
2: <laughs> I, yes. I go to the water. The water's like right down the hill for me. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, so we had to move my son's boat from one parking spot to another on the lake, like it's in the water. And so while moving it, uh, he was backing out and he has umbrellas on the front of his boat that we, you know, usually are down, but like during the summer he pops up uh, because he's pasty white like I am. Anyway, uh, one of the umbrellas catches on the overhang that the boat's underneath and gets knocked into the water. So... I hop across. There's a uh, the boat is lifted up out of the water on a boat lift, so it's got pieces of wood that are out in the water. So I'm jumping across the pieces of wood to go save the umbrella, which is now sinking in the water. I lean over to grab the umbrella and I hear plunk, and I look down and I'm like, oh no! So my my iPhone 13 into the lake. So I uh, me and my son. Like first of all, I had sweatpants on, and the water's still freezing. So me and my son are sitting there discussing which one of us has to go get in the water to go try to find my cell phone. Um, he ran how, up how to deep?
1: The... How deep is said water right now?
2: Well, it's it's right on this on the you know maybe twelve feet off uh, the off the shoreline, maybe ten feet, twelve feet. So it's probably only like five feet deep, right? But then. It's five feet until the bottom, and then the bottom is a bunch of silt. And there's there's little fish everywhere. And the fish sometimes, especially if you're near shore, they like to bite uh, things like freckles, which I have freckles. And so, uh, like if you're Wait, out in the middle of the lake, if you're they, in the middle of the lake, there's no freckles? problem. Yes, yes. You, so you
1: freckle assassin.
2: So so anyway, I like uh, we're just we're we're amongst friends here. So <laughs> I'm, I'm like okay, I got to get in and try to find the phone so i literally just stripped down to my skivvies and i'm like all right i'm getting in the water (laughs) she's just (laughs) sean's laughing that's right so i'm sitting here like i'm in the water toes in the muck trying to squish through all of the silt in this one little area and find my phone in the water um and i did this for like did you well, find, Do you
1: have goggles? Are you able to well, see I anything?
2: Went, my wife brought a mask down and then laughed at me for wearing my skivvies. So anyway, I'm sitting there with a mask, looking in the water, trying to find my phone. My son keeps calling it, hoping that it will light up underwater, which it never did. Um, anyway, in the meantime, I don't realize that it went from like an overcast morning to bright sunny. So I'm out there for like maybe two hours, maybe a little <laughs> bit longer trying to find the phone. In the skivvies. In my skivvies, and I got torched. So my whole entire back is bright red, which I didn't even realize at the time. Normally, I'm very cognizant of that because of how pale I am, but I was very focused, and the water was freezing cold. Anyway, I don't end up finding my phone. And the worst part is, like, it's Saturday, right? And by the time I get done, we get in the car, I drive down – I found out that I had insurance on the phone, which I I was worried at first I wasn't going to have insurance. I was going to have to pay like a 1000 bucks to pay off the phone and then start another whatever, you know, with Verizon. Um, But uh, they said, oh, no, you have insurance. So they sent me a new phone, but it didn't get here until uh, Monday at like 7 o'clock. So I had to work the whole weekend with a really bad uh, like old Samsung phone that my dad had. And so while all the news is breaking, I don't have my phone. And when people text me, if they have an iPhone, it goes to my iPhone account, not to the new phone. And so I'm not getting any. So I'm sending out texts. I don't have any contacts. I, I went to the movies with my family because I'm like, forget this, man. It's Mother's Day. It's my son's birthday. We're going to focus on that. Um, but I brought my laptop. And uh, in between uh, Fantastic Beasts and uh, and Doctor Strange, um, I actually had my laptop out and was like confirming and doing all that stuff. But again, like piggybacking off my wife's uh, cell phones, internet inside of the the studio movie grill. Yeah, so it was an ordeal losing it. It's just because it's the worst day ever to lose your phone because I knew what was going to come. I, I there was no way they weren't going to. Like make the coaching higher on Sunday. Um, I'm glad they waited as long as they did in the day, but uh, yeah, it was traumatic losing your phone. Man, it, like how reliant we are on those things now. It's just horrible. And uh, I I will probably invest in like having a backup phone here at the house in case I do have that situation again.
1: A burner. You're gonna have a burner.
2: I I refuse to have a burner, Sean. No no James burner phone. Uh, I even like when I was at NBC, I turned down like the company phone. I'm like, nope, nope. I'm not a two phone guy. Never going to be a two phone guy. Yeah. So anyway, that's the story of my mother's day, which and the day before. So now I, I have all the skin on my back is dying and I have like the itchy starting and, uh, yeah, there's nothing I can do about it. How
1: long were you in the water?
2: About two hours. And it was cold. Wow. Oh, it was freezing cold. Oh yeah.
1: And yeah. nobody brought you like any, you don't live that far. Like you said, it's just down the hill, right?
2: Oh no! I, like I can see the boat from my from my no window right No one brought right here. you
1: some like. That's
2: what he always swims in. Oh no! I did eventually go home and get swim trunks on and went back okay. and and okay. went in, but but initially for like the first hour it was just like. I mean, there's no one on the water. Everyone's hiding out in their house still because the weather is all weird and everything else. But or because there's some weirdo doing <laughs> who knows what on the edge of the water. <laughs> there you go. Some some dude out there. <laughs> some I think i white guy turning red. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, that's a story. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed James's misery of losing his cell phone. And uh, luckily, I'm all, I'm all back up and going. I, I do. Have, What'd you get? Well, I, they sent me a brand new replacement
1: so yeah. you got the still the, the I've been wondering because I have I now that I've uh I'm off to a new I still have an old SE which was, I've showed you guys before but uh yeah so <laughs> I I I I am now at the moment where I can go and, cuz I took it with me from previous employer at 10 now I'm at 40 and uh you know, I get to actually upgrade my phone and have a personal phone because they're different. They don't give you your own company phone like the old place does. They just give you an allowance to expense your bills. Nice. So um, I get to keep my own phone. And by virtue of doing that, this will be the first time in 12 years that I actually get to have a personal phone. So that's fun.
2: Did they charge you on the way out the door for your phone? Did they say, OK, you're going to pay for the equipment? And you're like, OK. and They're like, we need $8 from you.
1: The phone was so goddamn old. They just said keep
2: it. <laughs> they just felt bad, like yeah, are they're we like that you really, bad of employers said we've left you with that they, phone? again. Is that were, why you're leaving
1: us? <laughs> they were tremendous. They were so tremendous. They just said you really want your phone? Here you go. <laughs> so you
2: should keep it in case you ever drop your phone in the water and you need a backup. Sean, see there? Yeah, Let's our see. group chat
3: has blue texts. How's this working with this Samsung right here? Uh.
2: Well, because I got my phone back.
1: Yeah, he's no, back. on Sean's side. No, I still. It's it's a se. It's a it's a. What do oh, you an it's an iPhone. got? You yeah. got you. Oh,
3: it's uh, just a really yeah. old. Miss yeah. It's good good we'll for the it. good
1: for the YouTube. I have this T-shirt and I'll be wearing it in two weeks at Bottle Rock.
2: Bottle Rock. Sean is going to Bottle Rock. Um, okay, uh, I think that's gonna. Did you guys, uh, Brandon? Do you have any final thoughts?
3: No, it just sounds like the older generation is so attached to their devices.
2: It's just crazy to me. But it's <laughs> all I got really. It's like a magic wand to you. It's just part of your hand. You <laughs> don't even know you wouldn't even know how to live without it. I don't uh, yeah. Man. Sean?
1: I'm very disappointed there was no Molly appearance in this uh podcast on the YouTubes. Uh for a brief moment. Did she? I missed her. Okay. Well we didn't see her. And um Brendan, the, the homework assignment is due, so something about Mary, and we're going to add to that. I'm going to say Swingers because, again, yep. every every man in uh, should see that movie. Swingers. All right. yeah, he's writing it down. I am writing. Make sure it you down. make sure it is a it's a it's a, it's one of those titles where you're not so sure you got the right movie. Make sure you get the Vince Vaughn, John Favreau Swingers. So <laughs> there, there's, that, some,
3: <laughs> there's some other ones out there. <laughs> Yes, I'm guessing
2: yes. That I'm not saying. I'm just saying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no, uh, Sean, have you seen Doctor Strange yet? No, because I'm anti uh, comic book movies unless it's Batman. I just there's oh. too many of them. I can't. What? One day I'll get there. One day I'll get there, James, and and I'll celebrate like everybody else. Uh, but I've only seen a handful of Marvel. There's just far too many, man. And um, I feel like when I do it, I just need to go in whatever order the internet suggests going in, and yeah. I'll do that one day. But it, I then just, you'll never catch up, I can't though. do it. Because they won't stop making these freaking comic book movies. There's I too many. The, but, I
3: saw the Spider-Man a while ago and instantly knew, man, I missed the last movie because they clearly started from a point that I was
2: not at yet.
1: <laughs> I really well, wanted to and, see...
2: You need to see like the previous six
3: and it's always like, oh, I, of course, I should have known that this was this person's third removed cousin who somehow has a connection to the AllSpark. I have no clue.
1: All right. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I wanted to see the Nicolas Cage, the unbearable st- weight of massive talent, and I have not been able to go see that yet. I haven't either. Yeah. I, but I, I will.
2: Need to I need to go see it as well. Um, I'll say this. I'm not going to do spoilers for those of you who are huge Marvel fans, but... I will tell you this. If you're going to go watch Doctor Strange, um, there's this whole list of things you have to watch before Doctor Strange. And so me and my 14-year-old, we went through most of them. So we did the the What If series on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we watched WandaVision. We watched uh, Moon Knight and, like, whatever it is. And we've swingers. seen every Marvel movie. It's swingers, all of those. Um, if you really want to get the full experience – you have to watch The Evil Dead, The Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness. Sean, do you know what those are?
1: Bruce Campbell, baby. Bruce
2: Campbell, baby. But Sam Raimi.
1: Sam Raimi. Who is Who also di- did Dark Man, which was not very good.
2: No. But he's a director, and there are so many pieces to that that are similar a- and will draw you back to it. So, I will say um, I
1: will say that Benedict Cumberbatch was fantastic on SNL. And Brendan SNL is a variety show on NBC that uh, has been around since the '70s variety and is fantastic. Shows. And spawned the That's what
3: world. Pete Davidson's from. I got you. There you he go. Said, okay, we're good. He said variety
1: show, <laughs> sketch comedy. Uh, sketch he was, comedy show. <laughs> he was tremendous. He was tremendous in this last week SNL. I'm a huge SNL fan.
2: Yeah, Sean is a huge Saturday Night Live fan. Um, all right. Well, hey, uh, we've dragged this out as long as humanly possible. Um, I hope you're enjoying the longer podcast because it, it does make sense with there being three of us that we go a little bit longer. Um, we are shifting gears going forward. Um, and we'll cover, you know, as Mike Brown hires his assistants uh, and stuff like that. But really, at this point, we need to shift gears to the draft. Um, we'll start Thursday with more draft coverage. We'll start peppering in some sort of uh, free agency coverage and start breaking down some of the options that the Kings might have. Um, We'll talk about some players that could become available and the Kings might trade for. We'll start, you know, once uh, the hot stove starts heating up, uh, you know, leading into the draft, we'll start in on that. Uh, It's going to be a wild couple of weeks here as the Kings try to go from, Uh, a 30-win team to a 50-win team and build something for Mike Brown on the fly. So uh, stick with us. Uh, We'll be here all summer long doing this uh, every Tuesday and Thursday. Um, Outside of that, uh, thanks to my uh, my two co-hosts here for dropping by, Mr. Sean Cunningham from Fox 40, Mr. Brennan Nunes from the Kings Herald and the Kings Pulse podcast, um, again, we're going to start uh, cranking things up here, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So um, thanks for tuning in to the Kings Beat Podcast. Uh, make sure to give us a thumbs up and a subscription. Make sure to jump on board with the Kings Beat subscription. Uh, happy hours are coming. Uh, they're just around the corner. May 17th is the NBA l- Draft Lottery. Uh, so mark that on your calendars. As it's going to be a fun couple of weeks. Uh, so I am James Ham. Got Sean Cunningham and Brennan Nunes. Uh, You guys have a, a good week. We'll see you on Thursday.